right now, what's going on in music, the music business? Things he's learned through the years about not only some of our musical icons, but who he's inspired by now. And the music business side. Ron David and I are coming at you with part two right now. And I wanted to go back to the whole business side because we're mentioning all these wonderful people, but you mentioned one key person, and I'm going to throw in Mr. Dawson uh, of uh, California, who was also a record owner before Barry Gordy. Uh, you you got Cam Cook, who was doing a lot of producing before he passed on, um, yes. before he was unfortunately taken out. Thank but you. he uh, had his own music. He was uh, cutting different artists like Johnny Taylor and, and, you know, the Womack Brothers and, you know, the Valentinos and all this other stuff. And you said that your mom happened to know Sam Cook. Probably because he was in gospel before, so. What were your parents thinking when all that did go down? Because you had somebody who was really getting ready to be a powerhouse in the music industry, not only in terms of music ownership, yeah. as an artist. He was, he was like a quadruple threat. He could produce mm-hmm. other people. He had the Rolling Stones actually recording, you know, the Womack music in 1964 and making right. it a hit. Right. You know, um, what did you, were you old enough to have heard what went down with that? And the the repercussions of a black man actually owning too much, maybe? Well, in in other people's eyes, in the generalized population, my mom, they spoke of it a long time. And I remember conversations that she would be worried about Sam. And she just had this, you know, he, he's, uh, people are going to look at him, he's, he's extremely smart, he's a good businessman. He figured out what, how the business actually worked, and if he couldn't do it within the system, he'd create his own, which is what a lot of artists started doing, you know, and she was worried, and when I remember when, you know, the incident with Sam happened, the hotel and all of that stuff, she, I remember her crying and just, she was just kind of like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew this was going to happen. You know, he up against so much, you know, you, the, the powers that be want you in a certain framework. That's how their business model runs and they don't want to change it for whatever. You just sing and dance and smile and we'll take care of the rest. Here's your little cutoff, which is nothing of what they actually deserve. Writers' royalties, publishing, you know, ownership of stuff. Sam and started to do that, you know. And my dad had his own record shop, starting to do the same thing. But it's the opposition of the in power, let's say, um, that that weren't applicable to that, you know. And she was really, really upset about it because she she just lost a friend, you know. I mean, it's like Uncle Sam, Uncle Jackie, y'all. Jackie bothered her, the way things went, you know, and, and just, but it was almost kind of expected. And, I, you know, I, I know that sounds bad, but it it was almost like expected that something would happen to try to circumvent the fact that uh, they were smart enough to step up and, and try to figure out a way business-wise and legally to own masters and do things like that, like, 
Ray Charles did when he left Atlantic and went to RCA. You know, he owned his masters and his songs, and that wasn't things that, that artists did, especially black artists, you know. Yeah, it, it's just... Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's interesting, Barry and Gamble have had some success, but where you see the major success of winning masters, I know, the masters and whatnot, because, you know, Prince got screwed, is maybe 30 years later, but the type of music completely changed <laughs> and the yeah. images that were out there. So uh, one of my um, friends in the music industry who came along in that day, he was a teenager, and Sam Cooke was his idol, and he's white, and he was saying that um, it seems as though when the brothers get romantic and start getting popular, the music genre changes. <laughs> yes. It changes goes from romantic, good-looking guys, and then you got the flower power folks going in there. Yeah, and, and black and romantic, like the the stylistics of the stylites come up in there, and then you got the disco and the yeah. folks come up in there. Then you got yeah. baby face and you know all this wonderful, you know, debarge and you know decent feminized, good-looking guys though. Yeah. They're singing romantic yeah. hits and and after seven and all this other stuff and and he knew the, the hits. I had to go study. I was like, who knows after seven? Who's that? So and then he goes, yeah, that's his brothers. Got, yeah, his, his brothers. Yeah, absolutely. You got, you got the nineties and you got gangster stuff and you got images that would never fly forty, fifty years before, thirty years before, even twenty years before. Shoot, but they own their stuff. They, they own were their having stuff a hard. Now. They were having a hard time with it, even when it was happening. You know, it became uh, people were like, "Oh, there's." The, the lyrics are too explicit. We want to get rid of those. They they hate the police. They're antisocial. Just, they find a reason to try to curtail the success of, of right. you know, artists and genre. I'm a public enemy. Or a yeah. yeah, public enemy putting out yeah. message music, really. Right. Um, and so you, all of a sudden, you get um, a totally different image. And today's image um, some of the stuff you be it's not necessarily for consumption uh, because yeah. it's its old stereotypes. But you know what? I, 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 in a way, I just see it as a progression. Like I said, I'm, I'm growing up as a kid and little, you know, elementary school, junior high, and they're out there, temptation, we're killing it. But what I saw is that whenever the next generation changes. It's almost like a, a kind of um, rebellion against what before. You know, it was, it was the, the, the mm -hmm. organized music. And then all of a sudden you come in with the platters and the coasters, taking that and being all sophisticated and stuff and becoming, going to the top of the chart. Then you know what? We can't do that. Just like you said, they can't go, they can sing for us, but they can't come in the, uh, the front door. They're not allowed to stay at the same hotel. You know, then the next wave is Motown is, Barry's like, well, you know what? Then we'll make our own, you know, and, and just like you said, Gamble and Huff spin off from it, writing these hits for Teddy Pendergrass and the OJs, and that becomes so successful, but they control the top, and they started putting them in categories. Okay, well, that's soul, that's R&B, that's pop, that's country, you know, instead of just the overall music where people can just accept it. If you like it, you like it. If not, 
And by putting it in categories, then they still had control over what got played and stuff. If you think about Prince, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a Michael Jackson fan. I love Michael Jackson. And, but Prince is my all-time favorite for two things. I mean, he, he did everything. And the number of people that he was able to bring into the music, that's unprecedented. We're talking just with the time from Morris Day and Terry and Jimmy to Yeah, you know, Jesse Johnson and then the the Apollonia and and, and Vanity Six and Sheila E. I'm like, he he had his own record company based off of, of, of that, the people that he brought to the front. You know, and I'm just like, and write songs for all these other people that were individual artists. Sheila, Sheila East, uh, I think, uh, she, she, the, you know, she was British. She, Sheena East, Sheena Easton, I no, think. No, actually she's from Scotland. Scotland, okay. Yes, that's what I'm But just like he did, then, then Babyface started doing stuff too, writing for all of these artists. And the amazing song, Bobby Brown. The thing went from, mm-hmm. from Bobby Brown all the way up to, you know, like, like these amazing vocalists, uh, uh, Celine Dion and stuff, you know, and it started to get to a point where, you know what, we have to figure out our own way out of this, you know, and my mom always said that you have to do one or two things. She said, you have to evolve or you will go extinct. <laughs> she said, That's you know, right. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what are you talking about? And she would always say, you know, it's like, well, dinosaurs used to run stuff. She said, you, back then, it, you know, and nobody could see it any differently. Dinosaurs run stuff. She said, but then along comes man and figures out other ways, and it had to evolve. And the dinosaurs didn't evolve, and now they're extinct. And if you're going to have a career, it, it, it has to be able to evolve and go with the ebbs and flows of, of whatever music it is, you know, so... Now you have Jennifer Lopez, who is almost respected more as an actress than she is right. as a singer. You know, she's mm-hmm. multi-talented. And everybody, like you said, triple threat. That's, you know, if you're not getting a check from singing, you're getting a check from acting. If you're not getting a check from that, you're writing. For, you know, everybody's an entrepreneur. Like LL Cool J and IT. Yeah. And, you know, IQ. Yes, but in the last few years, black artists have realized, though, like, um, you know, Russell Simmons and others, it is about ownership. You've got, um, you know, uh, P. Diddy and others who realize it is all about the ownership. You even got Dr. Dre, who evolved oh. from artists to <laughs> producing Eminem and many other people. So, and you also got to have the guy from Color Me Bad, who, or one of the uh, the, the leading singers from Color Me Bad also, who's a major songwriter for... Um, you know, people like Taylor Swift and, and Kelly Clarkson, and, and his list goes on. And you don't see yeah. him much, but you, you hear his music and his production. Yeah, and, and a lot of people don't know that, but he, he's making more money doing that than he ever made as the lead singer. That's <laughs> Colin Dad, yeah. Yeah, yeah and so, Colin yeah. Dad actually had, had four, they were four guys, but they were also four lead singers in the yeah. late 80s and early 90s. So, you know, so, yeah, you've got that. That, um, yeah, when you're writing and producing, yeah, you are making more money, especially as a writer. Um, you know, anytime somebody re-records your, your music or a new artist brings new life, uh, one of the people on my show is John Madeira, and when, um, um, I can't think of the, the artist's name from Australia, she recorded You Don't Own Me, 
and uh, that was like only three or four years ago, and made it a major hit. And it was on a Toyota commercial, and he got in the Grammy Hall of Fame for that. And wow. and when you get somebody who can do that, yeah, you know, exactly. bring a bring a song back to life. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the one thing about when you're writing your own material, um, people hear you for who you are. You know, you you can hear Prince songs, and you can immediately hear his style, no matter who's singing. You're like, oh no, that that's got to be a Prince thing. That's kind of a Michael Jackson flow, you know. Oh, that that sounds like stylistic Russell, and that. you know, they they had a a style that actually is what set them apart from you know the the difference between the dramatics and, and enchantment, or you know the Four Tops and the Temptation, but when it was Smokey, <laughs> you know, Smokey just writing for everybody. He had this style and way that, you know, he interpreted for the singer. But you know Smokey music when you hear it. You know Astrid Simpson music when you hear it, you know. And, and yeah, and now. he's a name that even today with Dionne Warwick, there's certain people who, whose names have transcended time, like Thurs Browns and the Clyde Matter. There's certain people who made a, an indelible impression in pop culture. Mm-hmm. That doesn't matter what generation you're in, somebody knows that name. Whether it's yes. your granddaddy playing the music or whether they have found the music. Yes. Themselves. Yeah. You know, so it's one of those interesting things that has happened with, uh, you know, some people can transcend time. I mean, who can be Smokey for Pete's sake? Who can be Dion? Who can be Ruth Brown? <laughs> who can be Ruth Brown? Who can be yeah, that? that. You know? That that was the point is that like when you're a group situation is divided, you know, the let's say the weight of the group is normally divided between the members. But a lot of time when it got down to the business aspect of it, one voice or two voices were the actual ones that were selling or had the hits. And they wanted to stick with the fact that, well, this worked last time. Let's just keep letting David sing it. Let's, let, you know, Eddie got a hit. Let's just do that. And that's how Paul slowly, you know, was removed out of the the cycle of the big hit songs. And my dad, you know, his voice, my mom's one of a kind. And everybody would just substitute in. But there, there's only one. When you When you hear... Like White Christmas or The Bells or Money Honey, you know, you're, oh, that's quite McFadden. You know, you just know the style and the same with my mom. Otherwise, he, he, he wouldn't be, he was the first man inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. Drifters and as a solo artist, which is great, you know. And the only thing that, you know, and it's just me opening up to you. The, the, the only thing that bothers me sometimes is it, it's offensive to me, I never say anything, but to watch other people try to take claim and, and, you know, ownership of what my dad created. I was like, well, without my father, you there would be no drifters. That that doesn't exist. I said, you know, Charlie may have gone on saying somewhere else, whatever, you know, I you can't call it. But there wouldn't be any drifters. That, that was a direct correlation of when Clyde created the group and the opportunities that it presented. And then it's kind of like a, you roll a little snowball down the hill and it turns into an avalanche. So you can't get to the bottom and take credit for everything that happened. You know, you look at where it started. And sometimes people say stuff like that and I just kind of, I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm like, okay, you know, 
it's it's I know it I know it's not <laughs> it's not the best example, but it's it's the guy that always claims he dated every every pretty girl, you know. Oh, that's right. how it goes. I dated her. Yeah, yeah, I dated her. You know, or whatever. <laughs> Sophia Loren. Oh, man. We went out on the... Oh, please. Sophia Loren? I, yeah, that's my girl. You weren't oh. even born, but you know, yeah, you were born 30 right, years right. later. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, like, hey. But I'm like, you... That must... I, I, I kind of feel sorry for people. I'm like, you must live a horrible life that you think that yourself worth and importance is built around the facade that you belong to something or claim or you know someone else's work is what makes you who you are you know well what what have you done you know you're, you're claiming to be um third generation temptations or i, I took so-and-so's place in the four tops you know when clyde left i came yeah, that type of thing and like i said there's the water gets so muddied that I had to figure out a way to step away from that and recreate it by rebranding. And we're Plotica right. Drifters, the next generation, which immediately ties me to my dad. And everything we do, the songs, the way I do them, they're just a little more up-tempo, a little, you know, uh, more contemporary. But you you use the name and who I am to get me through the door, but your presentation belongs to you, you know, um, True Soul, Sam Cooke would sound different singing, you know, Turn Out the Lights than, than at Teddy Pendergrass. <laughs> right, <laughs> I mean, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's a style and there's hurt. a an ownership. Yeah, right. Same song, but, you know. So you go, oh, wow. One of the biggest groups in, in, in the world that's doing the Motown thing, of all things, is Smokey Robinson has four uh, Australian guys. I think they're called Human Nature. Just, just four white guys, and they sing the hell out of some Motown stuff. And they're just doing the whole thing. And I'm like, he said, here's a twist. I'm going to get these guys. Right. And we're going to sing my songs, but look who's singing them, you guys. You know, and it's it's a different avenue. And I'm like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know. When you everybody knows grace, that. that's what her name is. When you get somebody actually keeping um, – um, a genre alive, like I mentioned, You Don't Own Me was recorded by the Australian singer Grace. And then right. you get another beast of music, when I say a beast of music in a good way. For the last 40 years, mm-hmm. George Clinton has been sampled by any and everybody. Oh <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> you don't hear Motown samples, you don't hear... Uh, uh, Ron Bell samples or any of the other famous, you don't even hear Gamble Huff samples too much, except right. for you know, uh, you know, you got what I need, you know, you, you know, you, you hear it there, you heard it back in the, the early '90s, but you right. don't hear as much sampling as you hear George Clinton's song. He's been sampled by so many different artists, it's, and that's what keeps him alive. What do you say about that? I mean, that is a phenomenon in and of itself. Well, you know, um, George might have a problem with it, but in in essence, I'm just going, you know, that that's actually creative to the effect mm-hmm. that shows how great George was. I mean, he was ahead of his time with the the peace funk, make my, you know, and and super whatever the whole funkadelic thing. But 
mm-hmm. he took the same guys and created three different groups. The same guys were in all the, the, the Funkadelic Parliament, the, the Bride of Funkenstein. They were all the same people. And all he did according to whatever they did. And the artists today, they realize that, man, hey, DJs use it a lot in their mixing and stuff. His, his music was just, like, funky. And it's just off the chart with it. And you know it the second you hear it. The phrasing. Bootsy, all of the people that came out of that thing, too. Bootsy and Bootsy's Rubber Band and all that. I mean, it's, it, it's people re- recognizing his genius to me, you know. But his image is so far out there where if he is, you can't, you know, nobody can walk around saying, hey, yeah, I'm I'm George Clinton, you know, or we're a George Clinton tribute band. I mean, George, he's just one of a kind. He's just nobody like Many of his personnel, many of his personnel produced for Madonna and Sly Fox and yes. many of the 80s yep. groups like Red Hot Chili Peppers. And, you know, you've got, you know, people like, uh, like we mentioned, Dr. Dre. And his group, you know, they were, you know, uh, Snoop Dogg as, and, as well as Humpty. Yeah. You know, you got the underground. You got so many people. Even now, you can hear it in many of the artists. You can hear it in Kendrick Lamar. Yes, yes. <laughs> you can hear it, you know, to the, in Travis Scott. And, and that, I, I have to give that to the younger artists today. They're knowledgeable <laughs> to a degree of, of you know, where the history goes, and that's that's the biggest compliment that I, I, I could, could give them, along being super talented entertainers. They found something that they could tie to to the past. Like when I say my mom said, I always know where you came from, so you know where you're going. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. these guys, Kendrick, and they're, they're like, you know, unrevolutionary today. And still, you look up and they're just playing the music that was started in the 50s and 60s. They just put a new rule right. to it. And, just, you know, I was like, my daughter was watching Will Smith's movie. It was the Wild Wild West. And she's little and she's singing the Wild Wild West. <laughs> and I'm like, no, mm-hmm. that's, that's that's Stevie Wonders, you know, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. Coolio. And she's like, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> no, Will Smith. I'm like, okay, yeah, if, if you say so, but. That's the same song he just updates. Mm-mm, no, Dad, that, that's just Will Smith's song. That's the Fresh Prince. Like, mm-hmm. Okay. You know, but we know that. It depends on if it comes out. It might be Sam Smith's Stay With Me, but we know it, it's <laughs> I Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> George Harrison okay. found that out with My Sweet Lord, too. People, okay, listen. Uh-huh. No, that's the gospel yeah. song. We, we know that Michael Bolton uh, took took uh, the Isley Brothers' music and tried to change it, and then now they have litigation and they won. He said that sounds a whole lot like my song, you know. Yes. Mar- Marvin Gaye with with Spirell and you know and Robin Robin Thicke. I was like, dude, that's Marvin Gaye. It's song. the same song. <laughs> 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 wow, blurred lines, too many blurred lines there. Let me come on now. Yeah, right. Come on, dude. Like, stop it, stop it. You know that <laughs> got to give it up. Like, you know, like, come on, man. Everybody in the world knows what that is. Okay. Well, they they had to pay, and the same thing with Uptown Funk. They had to wind up paying the Gap Man. Wow. That's oh, see, that's news. I didn't realize that. Okay. okay. Oh, really? Uptown Funk, you up? Oops, upside down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it is a get band. So I mean, but it's still great music, and it's great that they find the music. But you have to give credit where credit's due. That's it. You, you. That's the point, I guess, I was making or trying to make about these people that step in and claim to be something that they're not. You know, all of a sudden you got this big hit. Bruno Mars is unbelievably talented, and and his producer guy. But I'm like, nah, man, the Gap Band did that first. It was a hit the first time that you did that. <laughs> Why can't you get it? Many times it wasn't a big hit. And that's what I wanted to ask you before I asked you about the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Many times the Ruth Brown hit will be good on what they call for race records or for R&B. Yes. And then a white person or other person, whether they be black or white, picks that up, and it becomes a monster hit. And uh, that's because of the times. Right now, you know, you don't have um, black and white charts like you once used to in a major, major way. Yes. When the Gap Band put out Oops Upside Your Head, from what I studied, it was on the R&B charts. And it only bubbled up to the maybe pop or rock charts. Yeah. In the hundreds, where today, if that song was released, like Uptown Funk You Up, goes straight to number one. Goes straight to number one. Right, right. Many of our artists of the past with these Hall of Fames and foundations, they may not be recognized in their lifetime. This is true. For the contribution that they um, have put out. You know, you've got many groups from the 60s who had nothing but top five, top three, number one hits. And they're not even in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What, what are your feelings on that? Because we're losing a generation of people who are still alive. Some can still perform and sing their, their, their tuchuses off, you know, but they're not going to get the, the recognition or the help that they need. What do you say, what do you say, say to that? Um, it's, it's, in my humble opinion, it's, it's a uh, direct response to the times, the way the business was run, the prejudice and the, you know, uh, underlying discrimination in it. And now it's, it's about the way it's promoted. You would only be allowed to go so far with stuff. That's why James Brown became so big because people started like creating, using his music again for samples and creating right. stuff. And at first, right. when they started doing it, they weren't paying for it until they started. Right. And now, you know, every, every, I mean, Rick James and, 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 uh, what was it, uh, uh, MC Hammer. No, I. You know, yeah, yeah. That, everybody, I'm like, that's, you know, that's Rick's song. It was, it was MC Hammer that you, you know, can't trust. Yeah, you yeah. can't touch this, you know. And you can't touch this and Super Freak. You know, it was the same song. Um, but same thing with um, um, what's his name? Uh, Vanilla Ice, Ice Ice Baby. Yeah, yeah, Ice Ice Baby. Of course. But see, you know, it, it, it's it, it's the system basically. A, a, a right. white white artist or an artist not of color, I'll, you know, say that um, their access to more promotion, more publicity. And the company comes down to the fact of, to them, it's dollars and cents. They're like, the audience is not going to accept the black singer singing, you know, all these great songs that 
Pat Boone recorded, which were Little Richard songs. You know, it's the artist, and they played to that. Well, let's just change the cover and put a lady looking out over the ocean and, you know, and see how that works. So they would do stuff like that. But these artists that are still here today, it's almost like age discrimination. It's like, well, you're old, you know. Like, no, you're seasoned, and this is my song. And Eddie James was highly upset when President Obama uh, had his had his uh, inauguration, and Beyonce sang, um, you know, at last. And she was live, and it's her song, Dig It, but, you know, there was no comparison about the popularity and who knew and the, the moment, you know what I'm saying? So there would be a difference between uh, Aunt Etta singing and, and Beyonce. It's just, it's like, you know, the size of the event type thing, but it was, it's her song. Right. You know, right. and it, it's, I mean, Stephanie Mills and, and, and the Wiz, I mean, she created that role. And then, right. And said, oh, you know what, Diana, we're going we're gonna to take this and here, we're going to put her back here a little bit. It, it, a lot of time it comes down to business and institutionalized racism about stuff. To the company, they'll tell you, no, it's just the money. It's just the numbers. It is way more than that. It's always been more than that. Another thing, your mom was one of the artists that lost a um, uh, mastered out there in a fire that they're just bringing to light that happened over 10 years ago on the back lot of Universal Studio. What do you feel about artists in these conglomerates? They, you know, uh, through however they acquire um, big catalogs like that, Many of them are just doing it maybe just to own, but that's someone's priceless work. You know? Yeah, it's gone up in the flames. Did you hear about that when it happened? I, I didn't hear about it, it when it happened, but I'm, I'm, I'm aware of it now. And, you know, I wouldn't – I don't know how much trust I put into what was lost because it, it's almost like an insurance claim, you know, my car got smashed and there was $10 million in the trunk and somebody took that need to cover that. You, how do you say what was actually lost? You know, everything is digitized and, and, and computerized now. So it's not even that the master itself is that important because to bring it up to grade to use for TVs and commercials, you know, it's, it's computerized. So they have the copy, but this is stuff that artists treasure. My mom's, you know, we, we, we've gone through things to get the masters for my mom's stuff and my dad's stuff. You know, and you always have a battle. That's more uh, important to record companies because that's how they make their money by ownership of masters. Like if you hear if you hear a song in a commercial and it's some generic guy singing, uh, uh, it's your thing. You know, it costs them less that to have somebody reproduce the song instead of actually playing the master with Ronnie Isley because then they have to pay him and the writer, you know, and they said they'll take a session position. So a lot of times they found they, they find their way, I'll just say creative ways of getting around taking care of the people that should be in, in ownership. That just wasn't something that people were in their contract. Like when Ray Charles asked for that in his thing and Sam Cook said, I'm ownership of my masters and keeping that was like revolutionary. You know, it was like, no, we don't do. That's not how we operate. You know, they're like operating is the, the agreement we make. You know, so it's it, it's it's hard to see such 
historical things, you know, be gone away, you know, lost like that. But it, it's rare that they actually use it other than for the political thing that we own the master. They've digitized it, updated, mastered, and it's MP3 or MP4 somewhere, you know, in virtual space. And it, the loss of the actual thing doesn't mean anything to anybody other than just, especially the record company, you know, than the loss of, of property, you know, so... Mm-hmm. That's that's what about outtakes and things that have not been released? Yeah, now that that's the difference. That's the difference, you know. Disney has uh one of my moms they use in commercials, this little girl's gone rocking and some other things like that. And my mom was telling me all of these things she recorded and stuff and I've never heard. You know, older fans my mom has friend John Shields who's been like her number one fan for life and He'll always call and say, are you going to sing so-and-so, so-and-so? That was a big hit, you know, your mom had and your dad sang da-da-da-da-da. I'm like, what? I never heard of that song, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I'm like, wait, what song is that? My mom, it's it's even even being a part of the family, you have access to only what's promoted. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, hey, a politician can do the crazy stuff, but... What the news shows you is what they want to show you, and you're you're almost tailored because you you can only make an opinion based on what you see or the information you have. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. normal normally. <laughs> Some people just have their mind made up no matter what, and doesn't matter what the truth is. They're gonna. I believe this because I want to. You know, and that's a different animal. You know, but mm-hmm. I I and the yeah. state we we've always tried to get my mom's masters to be. You know, they're, they're precious, and it's like, you know. Have you been no Yes. Uh, we, we're doing well in it. I, I'm just, yeah, we, we, we've we got to, uh, there's, there's a certain time limit in technical things and uh, my lawyers and things that they, they brought up that, you know, regaining issues like the Charles Brown's catalog and Jimmy mm-hmm. Scott's, a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, you know, so... Um, how will I wish you success uh, with that? Thank you. Yeah, it's going to be okay. You know, like I said, we we had a lot of intelligent and smart people. There's a different way to fight than arguing about stuff. You you have to do deal with it the way they deal with it on a contractual and legal life. You know, but again, you have to adapt and do it the way you want. You can't go in there like. <laughs> like in the movie with Ice Cube to take a bat and start beating up the room. <laughs> you guys did me wrong. No, you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that wasn't look good on the evening news, you know? Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> People I'm have like, cameras now, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everybody got a camera now, buddy. <laughs> no. No, yeah, you don't want to be known for that. No. But yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, but... Your your mom was famous uh, in also helping uh, with the Rhythm and Blues Foundation, which is is sorely needed. So many people need uh, that type of uh, help from a foundation. Can you talk a little about that from the beginnings? It it came from her her desire to be treated fair. Her her mantra was, you know, I I don't want you to give me anything only what I deserve, you know, what I've earned. And it, it was the way things were saying. 
the the artists were not getting their uh, royalties correctly. They were double books, and you know you end up being on the chart for ten years, and you owe them money somehow. You know, and when uh, she met Howell Beagle, and he took up the uh, mantle with her to fight for these rights, it just kind of snowballed. Uh, you know, he he had some albums and showed up at a concert that my mom was doing. And, you know, this little guy, <laughs> and he walks up, he saw this, and my mom is just like, where did you get these? And he's like, oh, I'm a big collector, I'm a big fan. And he's a young guy, and she's like, what would you know about these stuff? And she said, in fact, I recorded these, and I've never received a dime for them. And he was like, what? And it turns out he was an attorney. And that's pretty much how the relationship between Howell and my mom started. And then Howell just started working feverishly to get my mom what was due to her. And once it got to the point that he was being successful, she wasn't going to just be the only one. She, all of her friends, she knew the same struggle that she had. She, it just wasn't in her. You know, I'll take mine and I'm good. See, she, she used to kind of reach back and help somebody. And if I'm, there's other people that have my exact story. So that was her efforts to create a situation, a whole people responsible for these artists that had been mistreated. And that was the, her idea of starting the, uh, Rhythm and Blues Foundation. And wonderful, amazing people like Bonnie Raitt and Jesse Helms and all of those and Howell and Jesse Jackson, you know, got together, went to, uh, up on the hill, spoke about it and, the record companies got pulled in and <clears throat> let's say without admitting fault they agreed to fund a certain amount of money into this fund to be dispensed uh you know among the uh plantees and stuff and and stuff so they were basically just giving them back money that they already are that was rightfully theirs anyway you know so mm-hmm. But I'm really proud that it's something that has kept going. And uh, my mom would be so proud because my cousin, Damon Williams, he's the chairman of the board of the Red and Blues Foundation. He's, he's taken over, and so it, it's in our family. You know, he's over there fighting a good fight for my mom's dream. And, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. But the bottom line is that she just wanted people to be treated fair, to be treated with respect and dignity. And you can't do that when you don't know how you're going to pay your next rent or, you know, you can't afford to go to the hospital because you don't have insurance. It's just people that, that, that work their whole life to, to get something and at one time, you know, a level of success. And now you were just discarded as if, you know, you didn't exist. And that's hard, not just for people of color, just for anybody, you know. Right. Everybody wants, you know, it's, it's it's not a black and white thing. That's just a people thing, you know. I mean, you 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 want respect, give respect, and empathy is something that we should all have, you know. I mean, I I, I know if somebody is hurting, I don't have to be, you know I don't have to have you know like read people's mind. I can look at a situation and understand that wow, that must be hard on them, you know. Like like today, the the, the the playing field got leveled in the most devastating way. Just this mm-hmm. virus, it doesn't care who, how much money, what color, it 
don't give a flying. It's just anybody coming my way, I'm kicking butt. So, you know, it's not just Latins. It's not just African Americans. It's not just Caucasians. It's not just AIDS. Anybody. If you're a human being, you're in trouble. And that's a unifying thing in effect because you're like going, I'm, 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 I'm glad to see the efforts of like the first responders and people out there fighting, doing their best, you know, mm-hmm. putting their lives out there. That that's a special quality, you know. A yeah. gun fires and you run toward the danger, not away. There's a fire right. and these guys are, you know, that that takes a special quality. And it's it's crazy to me that the worst situations are when we see the best of ourselves. You know, I mean, just day to day, everything's cool. You can just, hi, how you doing? You know, friendly, you know, and not craziness. But let something like this happen and people unite just as if they were like drawn together like a magnet. And that's, that's amazing. You know, and my mom was like that from day one. It didn't, she just knew that Jimmy was having a hard time or, or you know, Bill didn't receive something he she should get. You know, and she would, she was a fighter. She would speak up. She didn't care. It wasn't about what effect took on her. It's like, well, you know, if I'm owed 10 cents, he should get 10 cents, you know? Right. It's, 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 and that, to me, that's the kind of way she raised us to look at it. You know, there's, it's not about race or anything like that. It's just about the person. You know, if, if you're a good person, I, I know a lot of, Messed up black people, I know a lot of messed up white people, and I know great black people and great white people. It's, it's the person. And, and despite the, the game you're playing, because, you know, institutionalized like that, it's a, it's an uphill battle for a lot of people. And, but, at, at its core, at its core, it should, it should always be, you know, just respect people for what they are and, and who they are. And my mom right. and dad, they believed that with all their hearts, and they did everything they could to, you know, to deal with that. Sam was the same way, you know. That's why he, only way he figured out the only way I can play this game is to play it on my own. Barry Gordy did the same, you know, and uh, the, the Philly sound. They, you know, black colleges. People sometimes say things like, you know, well, why does it have to be called a a, a black college? Because all the other ones. You already have it. They're white colleges. We weren't allowed to go to them. So you have to elevate yourself. I'm like, you know, why is it Black History Month? Because the rest of the year is everybody else month. <laughs> it's just, right. you know, I mean, come on. Just it's, it's not even anything that it should be like that. My mom I think every one, month should be. Every yeah. month should be Black History Month. Uh, don't hey. you, you know <laughs> this. You know this. Yes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm right with you, you know, and you know, we we built it. I wanted to ask a a, a, a question off of uh, the Rhythm and Blues Hall of Fame. We've got a lot of people that are still with us. We've got a lot of people who've gone to have it. Your parents. We've got people like a Jesse Belden who's barely mentioned anywhere these days. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Donnie Hathaway, who is sort of kind of really not mentioned. You've got a lot of people out there that, you know, got their start at the Apollo and other places that aren't even owned by us now. What right. do we do? And what 
is there anything that should be done to remember these individuals that gave so much, you know, um, Dolphins of Hollywood. I mean, you've got a lot of rich uh, history that if Black still treasure it and remember it, it will be lost like many of our institutions. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 in general, I think that was the thinking behind the, the uh, African American Museum Natural History. You know, the, that is to show from day one. But it doesn't just focus on music; it, it's, it's the entire Black experience from slavery up to today. You know, to, to the presidency. But it, it's kind of a Everybody you don't you hear John Dalton's name mentioned. Though. You don't hear, and he was yeah. before the, you know, Barry Gordy was highly successful with blues and and and, and other artists. And uh, so you don't hear these names. Well, somebody out there's making money off those names. Yeah, that that was the underlying theme from day one, though. I mean, you know, Ray Charles and him are singing, but you know, Ahmet is making the money because of publishing. It's the way the system is set up. So he's out of the public eye. And but his music is still playing. But who owns the copyright? Who owns the residuals? The masses. It's going to the company more than likely, you know. And and or whoever, yeah. And it goes to someone else. Yeah, somebody else other than. It's not passed along to us, and you know, I think that's the only way for success is to have it continue on. Yeah. It's 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 funny you should say that because um, my my daughter that was her grandma's light of her life. She my oh you talking about being spoiled? My mom and Lauren were just like inseparable. And growing up, Lauren didn't really you know she's a baby. She don't really understand who her grandmother was until I took her with me on a cruise, you know. And we were doing a Royal Caribbean cruise, and we were performing. And that's when she was like, why do these people keep coming up to you? You know, saying, talking and stuff, and playing grandpa's music. Because I played all the time, and she, that's when she really realized. It was the reaction. She couldn't understand why everybody was just, you know, like, hey, how you doing? And find this or whatever. And as she got older, then she recognized, like, hey, we were... We were we were somewhere in a park, amusement park, and they started playing uh, a drifter song, and she just said, "That's my grandpa." Just out of the clear blue sky, and I was just like, "Okay, she is tuned in." But there's just so much other stuff now that occupies people's mind that it it, it gets categorized, and it's not highly, you know, put up to the top of the list. I mean, How can T.J. Levinsky, he can give a lot of uh, events, some of the names of the past. Why can't we do that? That would be a wonderful idea. You know, I mean, see, but you're messing up because you keep asking intelligent questions. So just cut it out. <laughs> Stop it. But it Stop makes, it but right it makes sense. It makes sense, though. <laughs> if you're I asked ask me... when I was at Howard. I, I asked him, when I was at Howard, the Howard Theater on uh, T Street was all boarded up. And right. I remember reading how, how wonderful, and it was just a piece of crap when I was, well, I, I sat in front of it 
literally on the sidewalk, which I know I shouldn't have been doing, but I was just so saddened by what I was seeing. Yeah. Now yeah. it's been fixed up. It is not owned by us. Regentrification. Yeah. You know, downtown Georgetown and everything over there, all of that's taken over. And the Howard Theater, the same thing in Harlem, you know. Lejoy Park. Yes, yes. You well, know, because it, we don't own the history, should, you know, somebody else rewrites the story. Just as with the movie Detroit, which I'm sure they went on what they could to recreate what it was supposed to be about, there were a lot of holes missing. Absolutely. You know, it's it's the story is usually told by the, the winners, and I say that not jokingly, but, you know, kind of the last man still gets to tell the story. The Otis's story was his version of what happened. You know, that Eddie right. and David, David had a, a different view of how things went, you know, and he, again, you can only get what, you know, what you actually have access to. And, you know, it, it, so Ron's it, story would be different than people who were, you know, maybe before in the dramatics or the dynamics. I got to yes. get to him too because he would know about more about my family's businesses than I would because he was there physically. <laughs> he was, I was a kid. I was. A, I wasn't even even thought of at that time in during my grandpeople's. Uh, well, I can. I will have Sherry uh, get you Mike's uh, email and put you in contact. You know, you know, because this history can't be lost completely. There were people who were really there who know the real story. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, George Clinton started out on our record labels. Wow, I did not know after, that. After Motown turned, after Motown turned him down, he went to be a songwriter over with Wingate and Rick Chick Records, and you know, so this is this is history that. You know, we, we shouldn't lose, but, it, you know, every day now it's being lost. Most of the people now are in their 70s, 80s, yes. 90s. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the fact that you say that, um, it's funny. I Humor is not lost so much ha-ha, but people always, when they come to uh, the Climbing Side Drifters concerts, you know, we do a lot of all over the country, they... They always ask me, they said, your audience is, you know, predominantly Caucasian. You know, like, why, why, why aren't we being supported by, you know, the black community? And they're kind of amazed at my answer because I, I'm like, well, to be honest, this music that it was, it represents the 50s and 60s. And I said, you know, uh, that was a good time for some people. But for us, not so much. So right. music, music has a way of taking you. I hear a stylistic song. I know what I was doing, where I was, when I heard you know, Marvin playing, and I said these songs right here. They that that was a rough time for black people, civil rights and all kinds of stuff. So people that were sitting and and listening to all of this stuff, the predominantly white audience. They're good memories for them. I, that's, that's all they know. It's like, oh my God, I'm in the world. You know, I love that song. But we lived a different thing while this was on. It's, it's almost like you know a fight song. You know, I, I I saw what my mom was going through. I saw what my dad was dealing with, and I said, I my humble opinion. I just it's not a time of music that everybody wants to go back and be remembered. They hear a song and it's like that, but. 
you know, there, there's an emotional tie to a to a song, you know. Mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder comes out, and I remember I was in college, and blah blah blah. You know, it's that type of thing. But it, those groups, platters, coasters, you know, they were the upper echelon for the white audience of what black entertainment was. You know, there was mm-hmm. a style and a grace to it. You know, and that's a fond memory for them. You know. I well, yeah, or well, you can find out on Jimmy Fallon when he's when he's out there with Biz Marquis doing Just a Friend. You find out it's an actual uh, 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 Freddie Scott song that you never even thought, you know heard of. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, that was a gamble and hustle. Really, that's yeah. a real song. You only know Biz Marquis, you know, yes. because you saw it on you know Jimmy Fallon's tonight. Jimmy Fallon, yes, yeah. Yeah. And he was he was, guess, he was singing it with the Bismarcky, and I said, you know, somebody goes, you know, that's that actual song. I said, no, this really it is. I'll send it to you. Go on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like that. A whole lot of it's like that, you know. And I said, well, gee, Gamble Huff made some money off that song. Oh, they wrote they it. They had to. <laughs> they had to. <laughs> well, you would hope they did. <laughs> yeah, I think they, they're they smart and true business people. I think that yeah. they would have definitely said, hey, you give us some money, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you get that. And, uh, uh, you know, you're right. Music does evolve. We've got some great artists out there now. And, um, you know, music swings backwards and yeah. forwards. Perfectly, we'll get back to those romantic ballads that are of a generation, not mine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll get to the brothers actually in suits and looking great. Yeah. Um, you know, you look at some of the old clips well before I was born. I was like, wow, that's what the temptation looked like? Whoa. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Everything go- now, now the style is the slim leg pants, the slim collars on the deck, the one, two buttons. As opposed to four or five and wide lapels, and that was the sixties look. That was, you know, that's the style today. You know, the the slimmer, tighter fitting uh, suits and stuff instead of big baggy type things. You know, and you're like, okay, what goes around comes around. It's it's amazing for music. It has been great. Thanks so much for being with me. I really appreciate it. It's my honor and pleasure. I, I appreciate you um, talking to me. If I can do anything, you know, to help you in the future, please reach out. Um, thank you very much for the conversation.